God bless America. Uh, Yael Osowski with us uh, here on the Big Talker FM from the Consumer Choice Center. And, well, he's in Europe again, and uh, so is Grandpa Joe. Uh, so, Yael, hey, you can have him. As far as I'm concerned, good morning to you, friend. Yeah, good morning. We had great coffee this morning, me and uh, Grandpa Joe. Great time. Well, I'm sure he remembered it uh, thoroughly in the conversations that you had lobbying him for ideals related to consumer choice. Because uh, based on the agenda that he seems to be pushing, not necessarily the most friendly uh, to we the consumers out there in this uh, great society that we live in. No, not at all. I think if, if we were actually to get a meeting on the books, it would probably last at least 75 days and uh, it would take a lot of action, probably uh, probably need some, some people to tag in for him. Uh, our list would be very long, but I think it would be pretty effective, Joe. just really depends if uh, you know the, the other Joe Biden would be as keen to hear our ideas. Well, first, you'd have to ask him if he could turn up uh, the hearing aid so he can learn a little bit more about what consumer choice means and how friendly uh, you know, your principles and ideals are for everyday people out there trying to make a buck, uh, put a little bit of away and enjoy uh, the great benefits of uh, living in this country and in other places around the world uh, that you push, you know, consumer choice efforts. Uh, let me ask you, you know, as far as uh, the globe, uh, you know, if you could have an index as far as people that are most willing to listen and then push your sorts of, uh, you know, items of interest on their on the agenda. Well, in terms of, of countries, uh that's an interesting question. I think there are a number of them, fairly innovative ones doing great things. You know, there are different states in the U.S. that also do this, that have various policies that are quite interesting and that really make us excited, you know, because that's what the laboratories of democracy were supposed to be about. We have a great state policy. Uh, for instance, when we look at cannabis legalization, I know we probably disagree on, on some of that, Joe, but that is something that we've been very passionate about and I think has had very good results. We see some states that have the low taxes, you know, places like Florida and Texas. And even, even if we look at other countries, you know, you look at a place like Estonia, incredibly low taxes, very friendly to companies, to innovators. And it, it is a place where a lot of people are converging. And if we even look at the pandemic, you know, I have some of my own colleagues who've uh, decamped over to Dubai. Uh, so they're over there in the Middle East because that country hasn't had the same restrictions that we've had in North America and in Europe. So a lot of people have been doing that. And then we look at Latin America, uh, which is usually not a bastion for liberty. Uh, there's been a lot of revolutions, if many of your listeners remember that, over the, the course of the 80s and the 90s. But I would say that uh, if you look at a place like El Salvador, uh, it's been pretty interesting. The last couple of months, we've had the president of El Salvador. Uh, he's actually appeared on the Tucker Carlson show. He's trying to change the narrative about his small country, which is usually quite poor. Uh, but he actually made huge news headlines across the world. Uh, he actually proposed a bill, and it passed, to make the cryptocurrency Bitcoin legal tender meaning that it is accepted as just like the government currency. Uh, the government currency there in El Salvador, fortunately or unfortunately, happens to be the U.S. dollar, uh, which is awesome to see. This is a, a kind of great, new, innovative way to think about things. This is not the same thing as the Chinese you know, digital yuan or whatever they're, they've been pushing there in uh, the People's Republic of China. Uh, but I do think El Salvador adopting Bitcoin— uh, while many of your listeners might not understand all the, the technicalities of it, 
All it means is that there's a country that's willing to embrace innovation and change. And something like Bitcoin that is immutable, that no one can control, that is really based upon the value that we put into it, into the algorithms that have been conceived, I think that's a beautiful thing. It's something that I've been talking about really since 2014. I uh, wrote an article back then making the case that Latin American countries, specifically those that have uh, USD or are tied to the US dollar, that they should adopt Bitcoin as their currency because it's something that you know will not be inflated like crazy. Uh, you know that is immutable, that is not centralized. It's something that is on the decentralized blockchain, and you could actually create an entirely new industry of great companies from that. So it is 2021, I guess the, the first time that a country takes that advice, but really happy to see. So I think El Salvador is a very interesting place. Again, there are many other countries that are doing great things. I'm still very hopeful and still very bullish on the United States. I think we have great institutions that do foster great ideas. So don't worry, Joe, I'm not giving up on the fair US of A just yet. You know, the way that maybe individual state had planned, but it seems as if here in our country at this point, there's a big effort, particularly by those on the left and within this current administration to kind of centralize more of everything, which ultimately takes away from this novel thought of federalism, states' rights, and the ability to try different things when you're basically just laying out the carpet as kind of a one-size-fits-all approach that we continue to hear you know, coming out of Washington, more of a nationalization rather than a localization uh, which we all believe, you know, of course, leads to the betterment uh, of conditions for Americans and uh, you know the global population as a whole when things are based and decided locally rather than from one centralized uh, place. Yeah, and it's something that I talk about, obviously, when it comes to the private sector and the market where you have a lot of competition. But it's also important to have that with rulemaking and particularly jurisdictions. And if you have better rules in North Carolina, then you have a lot of people from South Carolina. Uh, I know when I was young, to buy fireworks, we had to go to South Carolina. Uh, if people wanted to buy you know, alcohol on Sundays, well, you got to go to some other state because it ain't going to happen in North Carolina. <laughs> so it's this kind of stuff to where you want the better system and the better rules to win out. And you are correct. There's been so much centralization, and it has been bipartisan. And it, we don't really admit it. You know, spending under Trump's reign was was going through the roof as well. It has been on a very upward trajectory now for probably the last two decades. And the centralization of the rules, we don't really recognize it until we're faced with a situation where we have to comply. And, you know, it's no mistake that the big four accounting companies, you know, the PwC, the Deloitte's, you know, they are billion dollar companies because they, you know, provide expertise on regulatory compliance. So the more rules that we have, the more lawyers that we need, and the more that things are decided by just a few people. And I think that does provide us with worse outcomes and less choice. And look, let's face it, uh, there's a reason people are moving to Florida to start their tech companies. California hasn't been too good. There's a reason that Elon Musk and many of his other entrepreneurs are moving to Texas. And it's this kind of spirit and energy that we should carry forth. I'll give you an example of where this is not working. Uh, Joe Biden at the G7 uh, he's over here in Europe. Uh, they're excited because they just passed this global minimum corporate tax idea, meaning that every single country in the world, uh, if they want to be in the cool club, needs to pass a at least a 15% corporate uh, income tax, which is frankly ridiculous to do that on a global scale. 
Uh, but it also means that countries like Ireland, like Estonia, uh, many of these countries will lose their advantage. And it means that you're not going to have as much competition uh, that's going to be out there. And people are going to have more of an incentive to stay and it won't be able to invest as much. It's, it's just another example to where we think centralizing things will make it better. But realistically, we have to have more faith in people and in individuals. Because I know a lot of your audience, they can make decisions themselves. They don't need to have it done by a centralized entity uh, emanating either from D.C. or some very strange place in Brussels in the U EU. So I think that's the spirit that we have to go back to. And it's not just with products, it's politics and rules as well. Isn't this kind of the greater debate that we're having as a whole in our society? You go know, from the local school district through international commerce, as you just kind of laid out there, is that, you know, there is a group of people, there are a group of people, whether it be in big government or all around the world, uh, that believe they are smarter. They have, uh, you know, uh, they are ahead of the curve and feel that if only we give them a little bit more influence, power, maybe some more of our money, uh, that they will make better decisions, which will create better outcomes for us. Again, from the local school district to international way of thought as far as the way the world works, uh, you know, through commerce and business, uh, this. Uh, train of thought is uh, kind of trickling uh, through uh, every aspect of our life at this point. Yeah, and I think particularly if we look at the local level, uh, the schooling is a big deal because it really didn't matter in the state of North Carolina if there were no cases in your county or in your area or very little, or even if you had very high vaccination rates, you were still subject to the same closures when it came to the schools. You're still subject to the same restrictions on your businesses. And it's that kind of thing to where I know that we're at an interesting cross point. I know we were in a pandemic. I know there was a lot of authority that was ceded to governors around the country. I know that in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, the state legislatures were, were very fired up about that and were able to push back or win lawsuits. And I, I do think that was a good thing to do. Uh, but, you know, we have to be wary about the centralization of some of this. And it's not, again, just a lot of Democrats that are doing this. Um, here's an example that I think prompts a lot of interesting discussion. There's a lot of talk about critical race theory. Uh, we can go into that for hours, Joe, but I know there are some schools that are teaching this or have this in their curriculum. Uh, personally, I don't think it, it's the best of, of things to implement into our uh, kind of school curricula. But you know, the efforts to completely ban a particular style of thinking or a way of teaching. Again, I'm very hesitant to do that. I think really the best way that we can win uh, the battle of ideas is having the better ideas. And if we don't understand the ideas, whether they're crazy, uh, much like part of the critical race theory uh, literature uh, indicates or not, we still have to be able to understand it. And, you know, we have to face the fact that this is now a part of the elite conversation. And if people don't have the tools to understand it, they don't have the tools to combat it. So I'm very skeptical of these kind of um, laws or bills where they're trying to ban things on critical race theory in schools. I would hope that these are you know, decisions that are made by local school districts and that local school boards will hold them accountable. And if they don't want it there, that's great. I don't think a state mandate or even a federal mandate is a good idea. And uh, I know that won't put me on the good side of, of conservatives this morning on the radio, but I still think it's an important principle to carry forth. 
Well, you're definitely in the doghouse in my world because uh, I feel that, uh, frankly, it's just garbage to be told that, uh, you know, based on my skin color, I'm inherently an oppressor as compared to my neighbor and my friend who argues that, uh, you know, because of their skin color, they're inherently oppressed. I mean, right there, that's the end of the argument for me. Again, as far as what the government has to say about it, I'm uh, just not, again, really uh, privy to whether or not we should be mandating this, that, or the other. I just know the basis of that argument is just uh, completely ridiculous, and to introduce it into our elementary schools is, uh, you know, a sin and one that we'll have to live with for a long, long time. But that's just my point of view, and you have yours. Well, Joe, that, yeah, Joe, let, well, let's carry this forth. Problem. Let's carry this forth. I agree with you, and I do think on on the whole, and I've read all the books and read all the articles, and I also think it is a terrible way. It is a neo-racism uh, there's a new book coming out by John McWhorter, uh, who's a professor at Columbia University, that discusses just that. So I do think overall it is a terrible theory. It does go back to a lot of the Marxist principles that we had for a long time. But I think that banning, using the force of government or law to say that it should not appear in X or Y space is somewhat dangerous. Because if, if you know, if, if let's say the shoe is turned the other way and Democrats now have the authority in all the local school districts, who's to say they won't have their own banning of a proper teaching of the American Revolution or a proper teaching of uh, the Industrial Revolution or you know anything like that? And I, I think that's where the second that we put our kids in educational districts, anytime we do any laws to try to teach history and, and use a mandate, I think that's bad. Well, and on that note, uh, you know, a lot of the same people pushing these types of theories are also the ones that are wholeheartedly opposed to uh, allowing me to utilize uh, the tech kid to go seek additional options if I feel that the, that uh, school is going in the wrong direction, right? These same people are telling us that we have to send our kids to this school and we have to teach our kids this or that. I think that's where a lot of people you know, uh, create. There's a lot of friction created with that, uh, given that there's a lack of choice out there. And that if we're going to go down this road of installing these sorts of theories and uh, curriculum uh, into our everyday studies, when we've got 30 percent proficiency in reading, math and science, uh, that maybe we're going down a road and a rabbit hole that uh, creates a, a very slippery slope. Well, that's our point of agreement, Joe. It's all about school choice. If you don't like what's being taught in the public schools, there are other avenues. There are other educational centers where you can send your children uh, thank the Lord for that, because otherwise you are right. It'd be very, very difficult to compete to make sure we have a good curriculum. And what I like about you, though, is you're consistent in your thought. And uh, you know, to bring us to a, another topic uh, in that uh, there are people in Washington who want to try and break up uh, the big tech companies. And there is another point of disagreement we have as far as the influence and uh, the, the sorts of things that go on within big tech and how we as a society have failed to embrace it in a way that uh, turns into a positive thing. And there are a lot of positives. Look, we're communicating around the world uh, right now without any sort of uh, glitch or you know, break in the system. Uh, I think as a society, particularly for our kids, and then our government tells us we need to limit our kids' screen time. And the first time uh, you know, we run into some type of uh, you know, hurdle, uh, we then put our kids in front of a screen for an extended period of time. So you know, with that said, uh, it's your belief, uh, as uh, many out there, that uh, you know, there are many in Washington who are trying to break up these tech companies. And uh, uh, you feel that this should not be the approach uh, that we're taking in Washington as far as restricting the ability for private companies to operate the way they choose. Yeah, no, it's much the same. You know, it, it's not Microsoft or Facebook who can throw me into a jail cell. You know, it's the, it's the government. And I think, you know, that difference between public and private is really important. In terms of the, the reason that many sides want to do this, for the left, 
They just don't like big companies. They don't like capitalism in general. Uh, they certainly do not like maybe the role of social media in uh, propelling Donald Trump in 2016. For those on the right, for conservatives, it is a lot about bias and moderation. And I think these problems definitely exist. There are various instances where it's happened. But the problem with using law to try to change that or shape that or break the companies up is that you create unintended consequences that are almost worse. The bill in Florida by uh, our buddy uh, Ron DeSantis that we talked about, who's the governor, he has a bill that's saying, uh, you know, platforms like Twitter and Facebook cannot ban uh, political candidates from platforms. Well, Rebecca Jones, if you remember, she created her own COVID dashboard. Uh, she was eventually arrested. There might be some fraud involved. We don't have the whole story. Uh, she became a darling of sort of the the COVID crowd. Uh, she's actually filed uh, to run against Matt Gates. So technically, according to the rules and the laws in Florida, she now needs to have her Twitter account reinstated after she was suspended. And it's that kind of stuff that you're doing is all the tools that you're proposing. Just imagine the most detestable political character you know and imagine them having the same power. That's why our focus should be on reducing the influence of government institutions and not increasing them. And for antitrust and for breaking up companies, it's much the same. We as consumers are the ones that are going to be harmed. And I think a lot of conservatives need to hear that message because, yes, it'd be great to take a huge swipe at Facebook and Twitter. Maybe you don't like their CEO or their teams. But again, if you'd be if you would do this, it would create a very bad precedent that the other side would be even more willing to use come the next administration or the next time they have full control of Congress, the courts and everything else. And like everything else, you, know, you give uh, some of these big companies uh, the ability uh, to uh, craft uh, and work with lawmakers to uh, push forward uh, initiatives here, there, and everywhere. Well, it turns into what we see in a lot of uh, big businesses and corporations. In fact, uh, you know, they just cook the books for themselves for the little guy to compete day to day with these you know, global giants. Oh, yeah. And I think the example of you know, the coronavirus pandemic and what you were allowed to say and not say on social media— Everything that we've learned has changed our minds on basically everything, and everything they said in the beginning about the lab leak hypothesis, all that stuff was banned on social media. So I think we should definitely call these companies out for bad moderation. They did a terrible job, and you know there are alternatives, and people can use them. I like to use Mastodon instead of Twitter, or I like to use you know sort of my own social networks that I've built, and I have that choice. But again, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we should use the government to intervene. Again, these companies made mistakes. They will continue to make mistakes. And any time that they do anything with government is something where we need to be skeptical. And particularly with uh, everything related to COVID, that's definitely taught us that. I could tell you a million other stories, Joe, of things that are banned or not allowed on social media. or <laughs> Even our own Consumer Choice Center Facebook page has been you know, put in the penalty box for a while for you know, <laughs> pretty normal ads. Uh, and I oppose all that stuff. But again, the more that we can... Uh, continue to debate this stuff, get it out into the ether and hold these guys accountable, I think the better. I just don't think breaking them up, using the force of government, I think that's liable to explode in our face. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center with us here this morning. Yael, before I let you go, as uh, we started the segment off, uh, we know that the commander-in-chief, uh, sleepless uh, Joe at the wheel, uh, is in uh, Europe uh, this week at the UK attending the G7 summit. Uh, we saw Dr. Jill, of course, stack uh, full of notes on her desk. She was preparing, not sure what Grandpa Joe was doing, probably getting a nap. Uh, with that said, 
you know, when we look at Europe and the U.S. and future relations and why we as Americans should care, uh, from your perspective in Vienna, Austria, in Europe here this morning, why should we here in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, you know, give two craps about what's going on on the other side of the uh, pond here this morning with uh, Grandpa Joe and the G7? Yeah, I know. There's, there's not much to care about if you're talking about Belgium or France or anything else. It just has to say, you know, what is the U.S. foreign policy and what is our goal? And right now it seems a bit muddied in the Biden administration. And if we're not paying attention to what's happening in China— if we're not paying attention to what's happening in Southeast Asia, there is a rise of totalitarian governments that exists. Liberal democracies have to stick together. I think Biden came to Europe more thinking about domestic issues, is not really thinking about the broader picture. Uh, but that's something that really has to be top of mind, because if, if we get into a larger battle, economic, political, or otherwise, it's going to help to have these other allies stand up. And unfortunately, China is investing a lot of money in Europe, a lot of money in Africa. We need to present American money, American ideas, and, and hopefully have a better alliance because I don't like what's coming out of the Chinese Communist Party, whether it be a virus or terrible policies. Uh, but I do think we got to be vigilant. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center with us here this morning, host of the Consumer Choice Radio Show. Their weekly program airs tomorrow at 10 o'clock. You can find out more about what we discussed and further on their website at consumerchoicecenter.org. Yeah, yeah, look at that, the American way. We can agree, we can disagree, and we can still have a beer and be friends afterwards. Who would have thunk it? It's a novel way of life that we're living here this morning, yeah, yeah. What great examples we are. Yes, sir. I put my sword down to discuss with you, so I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Joe. All right, we're wrapping up the broadcast here this morning as we part ways with you here at 10 o'clock, as we always do. Uh, 